Are you ready this morning? Yes. Open your Bibles to Mark's Gospel, chapter 6. Mark 6, we'll look at verses 30 to 32. And uh, if you're joining us for the first time or have recently, every year God gives us a word for the church to look at in depth and detail each and every month. And our word this year is kind of unique. And we always pause on the first Sunday of the month to examine our PowerPoint and uh, dig for some of the nuggets of gold that we can find in each verse we memorize together each month. Now, as I said, our word is unique, maybe even unusual, but so is 2021. 2020 was its companion. And we have had the typical and expected words in time past, words like faith, words like power, grace. We had, as we mentioned lately, back in 2010, we had the word fulfill. We've looked at blessed. We've looked even at truth and trust. And rust, however, rest, rust. No, we're not supposed to rust, but we are supposed to rest. And as unique of a word as it may seem, it is a vital biblical principle that we need to understand in its beauty and fullness, especially in weird years like the one we're having again this year. Now, we find the concept of rest introduced to us all the way back in the creation narrative where God took a Shabbat on the seventh day. He rested from his labors. And then we find the word rest as we have been studying for the first time also in the book of Genesis regarding an encounter that Abraham had with the Lord. We'll find it in Genesis 18, 1 to 5, where the Lord appeared to him, Abraham, by the terebinth trees of Mamre. And he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day, so he, again, Abraham, lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and do what? Rest yourselves under the tree, and I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts, and after that you may pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant. Now, Abraham invited the Lord and his two companions to rest, and in that he offered them the customary washing of travelers' feet, as well as a morsel of bread for the purpose of refreshing their hearts. Now, the Hebrew word sa'an is translated as rest in verse 4 of Genesis 18, but it's also translated as refresh in verse 5. And the word actually means to lean on or to trust in or support. And we might say that rest is the means through which refreshing comes. Now, again, our text is unusually brief. We'll look at three verses. But our word is unique as well, and it's fitting in this very unusual year, even though there's nothing unusual about the verses or trio of verses we'll look at this morning. Now, we don't normally just grab a set of verses and study them. We study the whole counsel of God. Amen. Here a little, there a little, line upon line, precept upon precept, as the scripture has taught us to do. Now, these verses are interesting in that they present to us the opposite of what we found in Genesis. In Genesis, Abraham was offering rest to the Lord. Here in our text, the Lord is offering rest 
to his people, specifically his apostles. Now this is the same invitation that we began with with our theme verse for 20, uh, 2021, which is Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, and that famed invitation of the Lord, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. rest. Now, the Greek word translated as rest in Matthew is a bit different from what we're going to find in our verses. Now, like many Greek words, there are multiple tenses and forms of the word, and they have the same root. But here in Matthew, the invitation that Jesus gives, it means to cease from labor or movement. Now, the word rest we're going to find in our text today means to repose or to refresh. So if we connect all the way back to Genesis, we see once again a relationship between rest and refreshing. And our goal today is to do what Abraham offered to the Lord. Now, we're not going to have a foot washing service. And we're not going to, uh, uh, interestingly, we see in our text that the disciples were so busy that they didn't have time to eat, which would be a sin in about this church, because you have to have a potluck after every service, right? <laughs> and we're not going to break bread today, but our goal is refreshing our hearts. That's what our hope is to accomplish this morning. And since rest and refreshing come from the same Hebrew word, we're going to incorporate that into our title, which is Times of Refreshing. Times of Refreshing is our title and is our goal and desire for our time this morning. As Acts 3.19 reminds us to repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. As we sang this morning, I'm not what I used to be. My sins have been forgiven. Aren't you glad for that truth this morning? So that times of what? Refreshing. refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Now, I think times of refreshing sounds pretty good right about now. In the midst of all that we have been going through nationally and internationally and for many of you personally. And this is one of the wonderful things that comes from responding to the Lord's invitation to find rest in Him. Times of refreshing. Now it seems a bit elusive of late for many but as we're going to see in our verses, finding rest and searching for it and finding it to be elusive is nothing new. Now, what may be new for us this morning is learning how to access it and the refreshing that we all desire and need in this very unusual season of human history. So let's jump in and find that times of refreshing are part of God's plan and how to have them in this very weird time. You ready this morning? Yep. Stand and read. Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 32. Mark 6, verse 30. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest for a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. And Lord, we pray that you, as your word is presented to us as living and powerful, would speak to us this morning and breathe life into this very stagnant time that we are in. And Lord, teach us how to be refreshed in the midst of seasons such as we are in right now. Lord, we thank you that your word indeed is alive and it never returns void. So we look forward to what you'll do in our hearts and minds today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, as is true with any given text, context is crucial in arriving at an interpretation. 
Now, if we look back earlier in this chapter, we can see what the then of verse 30 is pointing to. Back in chapters, uh, verses 7 through 9 of chapter 6, he, Jesus, called the twelve to himself and began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. He commanded them to take nothing for the journey except the staff, no bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. In other words, the Lord was saying, when I send you out, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to watch over you. And it will be through uh, the means of those who, who you're ministering to is what the chapter would go on to say. And then in verses 12 to 13, we're told, so they went out and preached that people should what? Repent. Repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Now, then the apostles gathered together again with Jesus. And I think it's interesting how the sequence of events are recorded. First, they told Jesus what they did, because that was the amazing part to them, and what they taught to make sure that they were on point with what the Lord would have them teach and what they had heard from him. And in between the apostles being sent out and gathering together again with Jesus, John the Baptist had been beheaded by King Herod. Now, we don't read any mention of John's death in this exchange between Jesus and the apostles, but it was no doubt known by them and without question heavy on their hearts. Now, this is where we often find ourselves in life. Something wonderful happens. The Lord uses us in mighty ways. And then all of a sudden, as things are going great, something unwanted or even evil intrudes. Does anybody know what I'm talking about here today? Yeah. Something just out of nowhere comes our way that we never expected, certainly never wanted when things were going so well. So Jesus calls the apostles aside by themselves to a deserted place. Now, the word deserted can mean, obviously, desert or an abandoned or uninhabited place, but it can also be translated figuratively as lonely or solitary. And oftentimes, these are the sensations that we experience in the midst of the ups and downs of life and when things get a little bit too intense. We can feel alone. Yeah. Hello? Yeah. We can feel like we're in the desert, or as we call it as, uh, as Christians, in a dry place or having a dry season. Now there's a reality we need to recognize that we're going to examine a bit further after we make our first point of reminder, which is this. Listen this morning. Our rest and refreshing are found in a person, not a place. Yes. Our rest and refreshing are found in a person, not a place. Now the person is obviously Jesus. But what we need to draw our attention to is that while there are places and activities that we find refreshing or relaxing, I don't know if any of you have a hobby where you can just kind of check out uh, back in the days when many of us around here rode motorcycles together uh, on Saturday, it was always an escape because your mind had to focus exclusively on what you're doing. You had to pay attention only to that and everything else got pushed out of the way. And I'm sure some of you have those kind of experiences or recreational habits as well or places where you go. I think Hawaii is a very relaxing place. <laughs> Amen. But listen, there are also times, things, and events in life where the place cannot crowd out that which happened. 
and the sense of isolation is there with us no matter where we may go, no matter what the location is. And while the location Jesus called them to was a place that was supposed to be away from the demands of ministry and away from the constantly pressing crowds, it was who the apostles were with that was going to bring them rest and refreshing, not where they were. After all, it was an uninhabited place. It was a wilderness place, and we'll talk more about that in a moment. But we need to remember from Psalms 28, 7, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him, and I am what? Helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoices, and with my song, I will praise him. Psalm 64, 10 says, the righteous shall be glad in the Lord and trust in him, and all the upright in heart shall glory. And then Nahum 1, 7 says, the Lord is good. Somebody say amen. amen. He is a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. Now, our point is important because it reminds us that we can find rest and be refreshed anywhere because the Lord is with us wherever we go. Now, all we need to do is look around and we can see that that's true. There's a steadfastness in this season of history that you can find within the church that you don't see elsewhere. Everybody else is wondering where things are going. I know where things are going. I've read the whole book. I've seen the end of the story. There is coming a time of tribulation upon the whole world, such as there has never been. Times are supposed to be perilous in the last days. Jesus said they will be like they were in the days of Noah, exceedingly violent, people indifferent to the signs of impending judgment that is coming upon the world, forsaking basic and sound doctrines. The Bible told us all these things. So as disturbing as they are, they're not surprising. And therefore we can move through them with a sense of rest and peace. Why? Because we know the one in whom our rest is found and the one through whom we have access to a eternal pain and problem-free existence. That's why we can have this. In Colossians, Paul warns the church in 2, 8 to 10, Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are what? Complete, Complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. And you know, people are getting cheated all around us today of the rest that they could have in Christ Jesus. They're looking in places where rest can't be found. You can't find rest for the soul in philosophy. You can't find rest for the soul by following worldly principles. You can't find rest for the soul in following after human traditions. It is in Christ that we have a complete rest and only in him can we have that type of rest, including during hard and painful and lonely times. Now the invitation Jesus gives is interesting in that the word come, can and elsewhere, is actually translated as follow. Or he's saying follow me or come with me is what the implication of his invitation is. Now the word aside means down in place or time. So Jesus says this to the 12 after they had this wonderful experience that was followed by this tragic experience. He says, come and follow me 
for some downtime in a solitary place and rest and be refreshed for a while. Now in Luke chapter 10, 38 to 42, we're told when they went in and entered a certain village, a certain woman named Martha, dear friend of Jesus, welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much what? Serving. Serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. I'm glad we never tell the Lord what to do. <laughs> and Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled. That can also be translated as distracted about many things. But what are the next two words? One thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. In a commentary I was reading some years ago, I ran across a statement that resonated uh, in my heart and mind, and I've tucked it away and thought of it often, and it went something like this, and it was written to pastors. It says, make sure you're loving the Lord and not just the ministry. Make sure that you're loving the Lord and not just the ministry. And listen, I love what I do. I love to study God's Word. I love to listen after I've studied for His direction for every message. I love teaching. I love doing this. This is just what an awesome honor and privilege. I love doing prophecy updates. I love doing Q&As. I love speaking at conferences. I love the travel involved in speaking at conferences as well. And when I read that commitment, I realized it's easy to be Martha. It's easy to love busyness. Well, I'm not going to be a Martha. I'm going to be a Marty. Because <laughs> I do still self-identify as XY in my chromosome position number 23. I am a male through and through. Amen? My feminine side comes to second service, and that's the extent of my femininity. Now, it's easy to be a Christian and serve and minister and miss the good part which is downtime with the Lord. Now listen, I've also found that being busy can be a cover for not dealing with things the Lord wants to communicate with you or to you. The Lord deals with us and corrects us and directs us. There's no question about it. And sometimes he wants us to slow down so we can listen. We have to remember half a prayer is getting an answer, right? We don't just throw petitions up and then head our way. We ask the Lord and then we wait on the Lord and then we see what he would have us to do in response to that which we have sought him for. And like with Martha, even good things can become a distraction if they are at the expense of intimate communion and downtime with the Lord. Now, here's our point, And once again, we'll dig a bit deeper after we make it. Listen. There is a divine purpose in every place the Lord leads us. There is a divine purpose in every place the Lord leads us. Now, here Jesus says, follow me for some downtime and get refreshed. Earlier, he gave an invitation using the same phrase to his disciples. He said, follow me. In Matthew 4, 18 to 22, he was walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me, 
and here's the purpose of the calling, and I will make you what? Fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat, which Zebedee, their father, uh, uh, and mending their nets, and he called them, and what's the next word? Immediately, it's always best to immediately do what the Lord tells you to do, right? Yeah. They left their boat and their father, and they? Well, what was the purpose of these invitations? The purpose was to make them fishers of men. In Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 22, we're told as he, Jesus, was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that's God. I find it interesting that people say Jesus never claimed to be God. He made the claim all the time because he and the Father were one. Yeah. They're part of the triune Godhead. Amen? Amen? No one is good but one, and that is God. You know the commandments, he says. Do not commit murder. Do, uh, do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And then Jesus looking at him, what's it say? He loved him. He loved him enough to tell him the truth. And he said to him, one thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come. There's the invitation. Take up the cross and do what? Follow me. But he was sad at this word and went his way sorrowful, for he had great possessions. I think we could also interpret that as great possessions had him. And this young man was searching for eternal life through keeping rules and regulations. He obviously had a checklist that he had run through in his mind as Jesus read a portion of the Ten Suggestions. <laughs> the Ten Commandments, right? And Jesus said to him, and I'm paraphrasing, cut your ties with loving the things of the world and follow me and you're going to find what you are lacking. Now listen, this is not a directive to every follower of Christ. This is this young man's issue. That's why Jesus said, you need to do this. It's not that all people need to do this in order to follow Jesus. Amen? Yeah. He asked here, he told the young man what he lacked and what was keeping him from experiencing the true riches which are found in following Christ Jesus. Now, whatever the Lord leads us to or allows us to go through, there is a divine purpose within it, even when he says, follow me to a lonely place, follow me to a dry place or a deserted place, a situation or circumstance that you would never choose on your own. Even there, he has a plan and a purpose. Amen. Thank you, Mike, for that. I don't know where everybody else went, but... Listen, in our text, it was to follow him to a solitary place for some downtime with him. And the purpose was that they would rest and from that rest be refreshed because, as I said, our text says they were so busy they didn't even have time to eat. And within our word and topic for this year, we also need to recognize that there is an opposite to rest and that's called unrest. It's called instability or even unsteadfastness. And sadly, We've all chosen unrest at one time or another, but gratefully the Lord is patient and kind. Amen. Now, Jesus gave the invitation 
in Matthew 11:29, and further explained that he said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find what? Rest. For your souls. This is what the rich young ruler was after. He was after rest for his soul. He knew that he had not yet obtained that which he was searching for through regulations and moral uh, behavior that was dictated by the law. And the law had no provision for saving. The law only exposed that every person is a sinner. He could sense something was missing. And the directive Jesus gave him was the solution. He said, follow me and leave your former lifestyle behind. And the sad part about that scene is that he went away sad and therefore without rest. And when you decide to follow Jesus, there are things you're going to let go of. Hello? Anybody want to get in on this over here? <laughs> when you decide to follow Jesus, there are things you're going to let go of and leave behind. But listen, all of those things are in exchange for something better. And rest and refreshing in him comes from those things. Now, listen, there is no possession that can equal the rest we have in Christ. There is no accomplishment that can equal the rest we have in Christ. There is nothing on earth that is even remotely like it, for only in Jesus can we find rest all the way down to our souls. Now let me add one more thing before we move on. There are things that the Lord will lead us to that the divine purpose may never be known in this life. There are things that we may have to make our way through life, scratching our proverbial heads in wonder, thinking how in the world can this be something that works together for good? How could this possibly have anything that is positive or better in my life or in my personal circumstances and experience as a Christian? There are going to be things that come our way that the Lord leads us to that never make sense, that we will never understand. And there are those, because of things like these, that say, when I get to heaven, I'm going to have some questions for God. No, you won't. You won't have any questions. Well, you might have one, and I'll mention that in a moment. Do you want to know why? Any takers? Do you want to know why you won't have any questions for God? Because Revelation 21, 1-4 says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Then I, John says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, a descriptive phrase of something amazingly beautiful. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Listen, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death. There shall be no more sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Our eternal home is nothing like this world. It is, listen, it is pain, problem, and politics free. I didn't say politicians, I said politics. There may be some politicians, there will be some politicians in heaven, amen? 
but there's a king there and there are no elections. Amen. And it's a one-party system, by the way. It's a theocracy. God is in charge. Now, listen, I said there may be one question we have when we get to heaven, and I think it would be this. Why did you leave me down there so long? <laughs> now, the answer to that question is there's a purpose. That's right. God had works prepared beforehand for you to walk in. There are things for us to do for his name and glory, and wherever he leads us, that's the purpose there. Whether it's somewhere we want to be, would rather not be, or couldn't even imagine that he would take us, there is a purpose and a plan that is divine in nature for us, no matter where we go. Amen? Amen. Now, one last observation. Jesus says, come aside by yourselves and rest for a while. He didn't say you've done enough, stop serving me. He didn't say after, all the, after the stuff you guys did and taught, you're done. You can just wait, and then when you die, you'll go to heaven. Listen, he doesn't say to us, you've done enough, now you can rest. He doesn't say rest until the rapture. He said rest for a while, take a break, take some downtime and be refreshed. Now here's the interesting part about this particular narrative. The rest only lasted as long as the boat ride. Because if you keep reading in Mark chapter 6, 32 to 34, the very next verses, they departed to a deserted place, an isolated place, a solitary place, in the boat by themselves. Isn't that what Jesus said? Yeah. Come aside, follow me to a deserted place by yourselves. But the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and said, My disciples are on a break. <laughs> he was moved with what? Compassion for them because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. So he, now listen close to this. So he began to do what? Teach them many things. You know what happened next? He fed 5,000 men plus women and children with five barley cakes and two small fish. So let's take a step back and take in the whole scene of Mark chapter 6. Jesus sends out his apostles to teach and heal the sick and cast out demons. And all of this was done in his name and by his power. They do what he said to do and what he said would happen did happen. It was an amazing thing for them to be a part of, to be sure. During that time, the one who was the forerunner of the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, was murdered for speaking the truth to King Herod about his illicit relationship with his brother, Philip's wife. The disciples come back and tell Jesus what they did and taught, and this wonderful experience had a shadow cast over it regarding the death of John. The apostles are told by Jesus, come aside and rest. They get in a boat. The crowds race on land to meet them at their destination. And again, something miraculous happens because Jesus had compassion on the people. But listen this morning. Here's why I wanted to pause on that last sentence of what we just read from Mark 6. First, he taught them. Then he fed them. First, he taught them. Then he fed them. That tells us something about the priorities of the church's ministry. Amen. Our primary ministry is teaching the Word of God. Amen? Amen? Amen. Yes, amen. 
the church is not a collection of social justice warriors trying to right every injustice in society. Our mission is to proclaim Christ and Him crucified. Anything, say anything, anything else we do is secondary to that. Now the point is, is that the life of the apostles as they walked with Jesus was a roller coaster. Some unbelievably wonderful experiences. Miracles that they were eyewitness to. You know, the Bible tells us that when Jesus went into some towns, he healed every single person who was sick there and cast out every demon from every person who was afflicted and oppressed by demonic possession. Others' experiences, that is, were anything but wonderful. And they were evil. Like the killing of John the Baptist and ultimately the murder of their Savior, Jesus Christ. There was a traitor in the midst of the twelve. Jesus said he was a devil from the beginning. They argued about who'd be the greatest in God's kingdom constantly. They did great things. They said dumb things. <laughs> they declared the Lord and they forsook the Lord. Peter even denied the Lord three times. You know what that sounds like? Life. Our life. Highs and lows, great things and hard things, some days better than others as it pertains to our walk with the Lord. Listen, there was even an issue prior to the feeding of the 5,000. We're told in 35 to 38 of Mark 6 that the day was far spent, it was late. His, Jesus' disciples, came to him and said, this is a deserted place, just like he told us to go to, and already the hour is late. Now what was their solution? Get rid of these people. <laughs> Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread for they have nothing to eat. But he, Jesus, answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. And their reply, which was very clearly a bit sarcastic, shall we go and buy 200 days pay worth of bread and feed all these people? And what was implied there, we don't have that kind of money. But he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. They went and found a boy with a sack lunch that his mom packed for him. And they found five loaves and two fish. Jesus had the people sit down in groups. He gave thanks to the Father for the loaves and fishes. Everybody ate. And they gathered up baskets of leftover afterwards, 12 in number, what a coincidence that there were 12 disciples. Think maybe he was trying to teach them a little lesson? That I've got this, things are under control. Even after all they had seen and done when he sent them out, Jesus says, you feed them, and the answer is, it costs too much. We couldn't do it. Can't be done, in essence. You ever feel like that? I can't take another step. I can't breathe another breath. I need some rest and refreshing. And listen, there's a saying that's often shared among pastors and leaders, and that is you may tire in the work, but never tire of the work. Yeah, we're going to work tired, but we're never going to get tired of working. There's always more to be done. Hello? 
There's always more to be done. And at times there's so much to do you don't even have time to eat. And there are always more people who need to hear about Jesus. There's always more practical needs to be met than we can meet. There's always something to do for God's kingdom and glory. And while we do these things, there are the ups and downs of life, the good and bad things that we all endure. So here's the point, and it's a word of exhortation to us all. You ready for this? Yes. Listen, we all need a break, but we should never burn out. Yes. We all need a break, but we should never burn out. We all need times of refreshing. Hello? We all need times of refreshing. We all need rest, yet we all have works prepared beforehand for us to walk in, and we should walk in them. The passage we examined in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 told us last week. Now in John 17, in the great high priestly prayer, in 1 through 5, Jesus spoke these words, lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father... The hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Listen to what he said. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the what? The work which you have given me to do and now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus, like the Father, has always existed. He isn't a created being. He didn't become Christ when he was baptized. He was Christ when he got here. Amen. He was Christ in the manger, Christ on the cross. He is Christ today. Amen. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen? Amen. I was reminded of a story this week. There was a man who wanted to sleep in one Sunday morning. I know this has never happened to any of you. <laughs> you know what? I just want to sleep today. I don't feel like going to church. I'm going to Bedside Baptist. Going to listen to Pastor Sheets. And his wife came in when it was getting close to church time and tried to wake him up. And he grumbled and said, I don't want to go to church today. She said, listen, we're going to church today. Get up. And she went about her preparation for the day. A few minutes later, she came back into the room. And there he was, all covered up in the sheet, still in bed. She shook him a bit more aggressively. And he responded, listen, I don't want to go to church today. She said, get up, we're going. This happened again, and the third time, the woman ripped the covers off her husband, said, you get out of bed, you get up and get ready, we're going to church. He said, I don't want to go to church. She said, you have to, you're the pastor. <laughs> Listen, everybody needs a break, right? Everybody needs a break, but don't confuse needing a break with burnout. You're going to serve the Lord tired. You're going to serve the Lord when it's not convenient. You're going to serve the Lord when your flesh is saying, the sun is out, the waves are breaking, <laughs> or the golf course is clear, or whatever it may be. And we need to remember Jesus slept in the bow of a boat in the middle of a storm that was so fierce, his disciples thought they were going to die because his body was absolutely exhausted. Think about our text. The apostles didn't even have time to eat. They needed rest, 
And the king of kings, the creator of all things, recognized that and said, come aside to a deserted place and get rest and be refreshed. And when they got to the place where that was supposed to happen, there were people waiting there who needed help. So Jesus didn't say, my guys are burned out. Go away. <laughs> Come back at another time when it's more convenient for us to minister to you. He had compassion on the people. And the boat ride wound up being the break. And then these weary men were eyewitness again to the creative power of God at work. And because they did what Jesus told them to do and found five loaves and two fish, they watched Jesus feed thousands and thousands and thousands from it. And they were beat. And they were tired. And they were exhausted. Let me ask this. Who wants to miss that kind of stuff? I don't want to. Well, he's not doing that kind of stuff today. Oh, yeah, he is. We just studied last week. He's making dead men alive. And he's doing it through the preaching of the word. Who's the preachers? Is it me? No, it's all of us. We're all supposed to preach the gospel to every creature. Now, one last thing. Remember that pain and problem-free eternal existence thing we talked about? We've got a long rest coming up. So we may as well just serve weary now. And serve when it's not convenient now. And serve when there's a great cost to it now. Because we're going to be at rest for a very, very long time. And sometimes that break that we were hoping for, that thing that we were wishing for, is, isn't, isn't going to be any longer than a boat ride across the lake eight miles wide. And then when you were expecting to rest and relax, there's a crowd of people waiting there. And we need to have compassion on this lost and dying world that is confused and governed by fear and the unknown future that awaits the whole of the globe right now, you and I have the answers. And listen, that means we don't get tired of society. Where'd you go? We don't get tired of society. We don't get tired of telling them that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God, the one true Savior of the world. He is the only place that they're going to find the solutions that they're trying to find in basic philosophies and worldly principles and traditions of men, which have nothing to offer. And we cannot tire of giving out the message. We cannot tire of doing the practical things that the Lord calls us to do. Now listen, we cannot suppose that in the, if you keep reading Mark, you'll see that Jesus fed. The text says 5,000 men. This is the way they documented numbers in that day. So don't get misogynistic on me. That's not what this is about. There were 5,000 men plus women and children. So there's 15 to 20,000 people. Jesus fed with five loaves and two fish. But what was the initiating factor? He had compassion on them. Did they all get saved? I doubt it. I doubt it. Because you can't get saved by a loaf of bread. You can't get saved by a piece of fish. You get, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You get saved through preaching. So what did he do first? He taught them. And then he fed them. And then they saw the confirmation of the word of God manifested right before their eyes.
through a creative miracle. Now remember, most of the miracles Jesus did were restorative miracles. He restored somebody's ability to walk, somebody's ability to see, somebody's ability to talk or hear or any of those things. This was a creative miracle. He made something from nothing. He turned those, that little sack lunch that a boy had, five English muffin-sized cakes made out of barley into enough bread, not only to feed 15 to 20,000 people, but to pick up 12 baskets of leftovers to feed his own disciples who hadn't had time to eat. That's who we're talking about here. I'm thinking maybe if he says occupy till I come, maybe we ought to do that. And not burn out. And listen, you're going to get up. I can't even tell you how many times over the years, you probably said it or heard it, that somebody has reported, you know what? Man, I didn't want to go to church today. I just felt like I needed to. I just wanted to stay home. It has been a week like you couldn't even imagine. And I almost stayed home today, but I went to church anyway and heard exactly what I needed to hear. Man, am I glad I came today. Maybe that's you today. Maybe that was you last week. Maybe it's your turn next week. Well, listen, just because we're tired, just because it's inconvenient, just because there's a cost to it, that's not how we uh, prioritize the things that we do. If the Lord said, follow me, got a plan for you over here, do what the two sets of fishermen's brothers, fishermen brothers did. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. What did he say he was going to do? I will make you what? Fishers. Did he do that? Yes. Yeah. Oh, man. What he did with Peter. I'm excited. You know, of course, I've said this before. I'll remind you again. I can't wait to see Jesus. Amen. 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 Can't wait to look upon him and see the wonders of heaven. <laughs> that, that scene early in Revelation, we're going to see that happen. Four living creatures who cease not day nor night saying, holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, and they repeat it over and over and over, and they're described in terms that John is trying to describe these incredible beings around the throne room. Jesus, or the Father's throne, surrounded by an emerald green rainbow, a sea like glass in front of the throne room. The 24 elders seated around him. We're going to see all these things someday. They're real, they're literal, and that's where we're going to be. Well, we're going to meet Abraham. We're going to talk to Moses. I'm excited to meet Peter because I can identify. Can't you? Yes. Like we all have somebody in Scripture that we resonate with. And just to think about Peter being the thrice denier to the bold proclaimer who he had three denials, and for every denial, there were a thousand people that got added to the church in that first sermon. The first time Peter preached under the inspiration and direction of the Holy Spirit, fully empowered after Pentecost, 3,000 souls were added to God's kingdom. That's the business God is in. And I'm sure Peter felt a little bit lonely after having denied the Lord. The Lord asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? Can you imagine looking at the resurrected Lord after denying him three times, being asked by him, do you love me? Didn't that have to pierce his heart? Wouldn't you feel alone? Wouldn't it be a solitary place to have that kind of inquiry made by the one who you saw do so many radical and amazing things? 
I'm sure Peter felt very, very isolated. But what did the Lord do? He restored him. And you know, he, he preached that amazing sermon in Acts chapter 2, and he followed up again with another one later in the chapter in 3. It simply told us that God does amazing things even through those who once denied him, even through those who have questioned him, even through those who have fallen or forsaken him. So I say this for this reason. Take I'm not qualified off the table. I'm not qualified to serve him off the table. If God only uses the qualified, we're all in trouble. He can take someone whose most frightening thing in life was to give an oral book report in front of the classroom and have them do that every week from the same book. That's what God does. And listen, if he can use me, he can use you. He can use any of us. And we need to serve him. And listen, if you're burning out, there's only two causes for burnout. One, you're doing it in your own strength. Or two, you're doing something you're not called to. Because what he calls you to, he provides everything that is necessary. Like he sent out the 12. He said, don't take any stuff with you. Don't even take a purse with money. Because I'm going to take care of you. And so if you're waiting to feel qualified or prepared, you're wasting your time. Just get in the game. Serve. Well, I don't know if I want to serve in a children's ministry. I don't feel qualified to teach. Listen, if there's a need, we meet it. Amen? Amen. Now, let me say this little caveat. If you don't like kids, that's probably not your calling. <laughs> I'm thinking. And, and let me just throw this out there, too. If you can't sing, probably not called to the band. <laughs> probably not called to the worship team, right? Because you'll be miserable. So, listen, there are things we need to recognize that God has gifted us in certain areas. There's no question about that. But there's always something to do for God's kingdom. So we ought to always be doing something. Amen? Amen. Even in the midst of this season we're in. You need rest? Rest for a while, then get back at it. Thus says the Lord, somebody say, Amen. Father, we're grateful again for your matchless word. We thank you for our time together. Thank you for this little snippet. Lord, that we isolated through our examination of our word for the year. And we thank you, Lord, that you do want to use us. You do have plans for us. And though the, the efforts and uh, ministry effort that we put forth may be to the degree sometimes we don't even have time to eat or we don't have time to rest, uh, Lord, we thank you for this beautiful picture that reminds us that you'll provide strength in the hour of need, and you'll provide what's necessary in order to get the job done. Even if it means taking five barley cakes and two fish and feeding thousands with it, you can do it. So you can take all of us, your servants, with our foibles and failures and ups and downs and use us for your glory. And we thank you for that. So, Lord, help us not to say no based on what we are, but help us to say yes when appropriate based on who you are and what you can do. So we thank you, Lord, for this time together this morning. We thank you. You're still rescuing souls from death. You're still giving people the rest they're searching for when they search for it in you. We thank you again for these things. In Jesus' name, 
And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.